He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Love speaks the language of love, and our divine Savior, so in love with us, expresses his ardent desire to be united to us. And so, in a marvelous way, he offers us his body and blood as our food and drink, so as to effect that union. At the Last Supper, he instituted the Most Holy Eucharist. He took bread and changed it into his sacred body by his all-powerful word, saying, This is my body. And taking the chalice, he changed the wine into his precious blood, saying, This is the chalice of my blood. He then commanded his apostles to do likewise, saying, Do this in commemoration of me. Each year, Holy Mother Church presents us this mystery of faith in the Feast of Corpus Christi. Even though each day the priests of the Church lend their voices to the Word incarnate to transform bread and wine into his body and blood during the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the Church sees fit, and rightly so, to celebrate this august sacrament by a yearly solemnity, thus giving us an opportunity to recall to mind our faith concerning the Most Holy Eucharist, and to increase in us the ardor of piety towards it, to remind us to worship the body and blood of our Lord. Our faith concerns the light of divine revelation. Many times the darkness and heresy try to obscure that light, which is why the Church has had to proclaim and uphold the truth of our faith. In the Sacred Council of Trent, she has declared, The Holy Council teaches and openly and straightforwardly professes that in the Blessed Sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, after the consecration of the bread and wine, our Lord Jesus Christ, true God and true man, is truly, really, and substantially contained under the perceptible species of bread and wine. The Church, the pillar and mainstay of the truth, accepts with unfailing gratitude this marvelous gift from the hand, hands of Christ. Our faith teaches us that even though we cannot see a change in the bread and wine of the altar, such a transformation does take place, because our Lord has said so. St. Thomas Aquinas puts this very eloquently in the words of his Adoro Te Devote, a hymn in honor of the Blessed Sacrament. In it he says, Sight, touch, and taste in thee are each deceived. The ear alone most safely is believed. I believe all the Son of God has spoken. Than truth's own word, there is no truer token. Christ our Lord is truly present in the most blessed sacrament, and his love for us does not disdain coming to us under these most humbling appearances. He desires to abide in us, to live in us. He wants to sustain us and nourish us with his very self. What poor, miserable creatures we are, and to think that our God, the Lord of heaven and earth, 
wishes to abide in us, that he finds his pleasure in being among the children of men. Overwhelmed with gratitude for such an awesome gift, the Church nurtures great devotion to the Most Holy Sacrament, processions, adorations, frequent or even daily Holy Communion. Out of respect for the Real Presence, she asks us to be reverent in Church by genuflecting while entering and leaving, by dressing appropriately, by modesty in conduct, and by love in our hearts. For fear of profanation, she admonishes us to abstain from Holy Communion if we are in the state of mortal sin, or if we have not fasted for one hour, lest we eat judgment and condemnation for ourselves, as St. Paul warns in today's epistle. From the desire for our holiness, Holy Mother Church encourages us to do all that we can to make our reception of this great sacrament more fruitful for our souls. On this last point, much may be said, but to get to the heart of the matter, keep in mind that the fruits and benefits we receive from Holy Communion are proportionate to our real desire to be united to our Blessed Lord. This means, of course, our resolution to forsake sin, even venial sin, and to correct our imperfections. In the word, to remove every obstacle to the workings of God's grace in our soul. And in fact, we want to seek a greater union with Him also by the conformity of our life to His divine commandments, to His divine life. And so that means the more we do that daily, the more we strive to be well-pleasing to our Lord in all things and to avoid even deliberate venial sin, well, the more fruits we will receive from the reception of Holy Communion. It is also because of the lack of this that we see many people who go frequently to Holy Communion but yet have no change in their life. They do not become holier. In other words, the graces are there, but they kind of remain stagnant because the individual has not cooperated with God's grace and doesn't have the will to even avoid offending our Lord in small things. And so because of that, the fruits of their communions become very minimal. And so to avoid that, but we must strive with great zeal and energy to conform our lives to Christ, to cut out obstacles from our heart that impede us to love God with our whole heart, with our whole might and all our will, to mortify our passions, which are often the means by which we fall into sin. And then there our communions will be very fruitful and we'll see truly a progression in the divine life. It's interesting to note that back during the Middle Ages we have many saints and when we see their lives we see that they don't receive Holy Communion very frequently. Sometimes, for some saints, it might have been five times a year at most. Of course, then for others, well, they were priests, and so they celebrated Mass as often as they could, and so probably daily. But, whereas we see many who in our day receive very frequently but have no change in life, they don't become holier. And so we have to see it's not just a question of doing an external thing, the reception of Holy Communion, but also we must include in that the interior reality that must be there so that graces can truly overflow within our soul and transform it.
Now, because of this purification of venial sin, which is important so as to maximize the fruits of Holy Communion, that is why in the liturgy there is the confidior that is said before communion. It's, if you will, a certain act of contrition that we make, imploring God's mercy for our sins and repudiating also our sins. And it is there to purify us from any venial sins before approaching our Lord, who is the All-Holy and Most Holy Communion. To keep in mind that absolution that's given at the end of the confidior by the priest, it absolves and takes away venial sins. If we have mortal sins on our soul, we still need to go to confession first before going to Holy Communion, lest we make a sacrilegious communion, and of course, instead of receiving grace, receive all the more condemnation for our action. Now, the real desire for union with our Lord means our yearning to advance in virtue and to imitate Christ by the way we live our lives. The real desire for union consists also in preparing the soul for that union by lifting the mind and heart to God in prayer before Holy Communion, and also the acts of thanksgiving proffered the Divine Majesty after the reception of so great a gift. Finally, the real desire for union is the desire for the fruits of that union, the increase of sanctifying grace and of divine life and the securing of the promise of eternal happiness in heaven, where our union with Christ will be confirmed forever. Our blessed Lord has promised us in the gospel eternal life. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me, and I in him. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.